0: Lawrence with episode two of the Enter the Word Podcast. Before we get started, I just want to say thank you so much for all of the great response that we had to the first episode. A lot of people reached out and said that they really enjoyed it and are super excited for the future episodes. It's meant a lot to us to get such positive feedback, and I'm really excited to keep recording these for you. So today, I just want to jump right into it, and I want to talk about why it matters so much that Jesus is divine and that Jesus is God, uh, not just a human man there are a couple of pretty major religions out there that believe in Jesus and they believe in the Bible, but they teach a warped version of him that excludes his divinity. And in doing this, they're also cutting him off from his relationship with God and as God. Uh, One example of this is Islam, where they believe that Jesus was a prophet, just like Muhammad, but they don't believe that he was God or divine in any sort of way. Jehovah's Witnesses are also another big religion that believe that Jesus is a God, but they don't believe that he is God the Father, and they believe that God the Father actually created him. They believe that he's almost kind of like a, an opposite brother to Satan, and so they reject the Trinity in this way. So when we look at Scripture, we see four pretty main big proofs of Jesus' divinity. Um, so I'll just, I'll just list those out for you now. It's his virgin birth and divine conception. Those kind of go along with each other the second is his fulfillment of prophecy, the third is his resurrection, and the fourth is his miracles. And I'm sure that there are some smaller um, proofs of his divinity throughout scripture, but these are kind of the big main four. And I just want to take you through those today and just provide you with some scripture and some information regarding those pieces of evidence that prove that God is, or that Jesus is God. Um, And then at the end, I'll kind of discuss a little bit further why it matters so much that he is God and why these proofs, um, why God left them for us so that we can prove his divinity. Um, So I'll start with the virgin birth, and I'm kind of combining this one with fulfillment of prophecy because they kind of go hand in hand a little bit. So I just want to open up with a little bit of scripture, and this is found in Isaiah 7, specifically verse 14. It says, Therefore the Lord will give you a sign. The virgin birth will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. And so this is just a really blatant, direct prophecy about a virgin woman who conceives and gives birth to a son calls him Emmanuel, which for those of you that don't know, Emmanuel means God with us. So it is a a very, very blatant piece of scripture that it's kind of hard to argue that it would mean anything other than Jesus. There's another big one uh, found in Isaiah that we use a lot during the Christmas season. And it's Isaiah nine where it talks about a child, a son specifically being born. And it says that he'll carry the government on his shoulders And it also identifies the son as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. And all of these are divine statements. There's a lot of theology behind each of these that I really encourage you to look into. It's a really fascinating piece of scripture. Um, As for fulfillment of prophecies, we also get a lot of pictures or something called types of Jesus in the Old Testament. Uh, The study of this is actually called typology. And it's basically where we get um, sort of parallels or examples of Jesus that aren't directly tied to him. But when you look at it through the lens of Jesus, it's very clear. I want to do a couple of episodes talking about these in the future, because they're really, really special and exciting. And they really reveal just how intricately God put together scripture for us so that Jesus exists from Genesis to Revelation. Um, One pretty major example of a picture or a type of Jesus in the Old Testament is in Genesis 22, where Abraham almost sacrifices Isaac. And this is a really clear parallel to Jesus' sacrifice because it shows a father giving up his one and only son um, for the sake of obedience to the father. So that one's really exciting. Like I said, there are a couple more, and that's something that I wanna discuss a lot more in the future, because it's something that I think is really, really fascinating, and for me personally, is really strengthening for my faith. So going on, number two is the resurrection, a second proof of Jesus' divinity. Uh, So if this is not true, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead and he isn't God, then his resurrection doesn't mean anything. And he's just simply another man who has fallen victim to execution by the Roman government. His death on the cross, his suffering is all moot without the resurrection. Because without his resurrection our sinful nature and our lack of salvation remains and it hasn't been atoned for and we haven't been rescued from it. Um, and also, if Jesus is not God, there's no way he could have lived a sinless life and therefore provided that perfect, blameless, spotless sacrifice on the cross that atoned for our sin in the way that we so desperately needed. Um, there's a scripture in First Peter, it's First Peter 1, 17 through 19, And I'll just read that for you now. It says, If you call on him as father who judges impartially according to one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So moving on, um, number three, The third proof of Jesus' divinity in Scripture is uh, evidence of his miracles. And so this is the entire purpose of Jesus performing miracles during his three-year ministry on earth, was to reveal himself as God and as divine because no normal man could raise someone from the dead or heal the blind or heal the lame or make someone walk on water. Um, Matthew 14 is actually the story where Jesus calls Peter out of the boat uh, during the storm. And afterwards, when Jesus calms the storms, the disciples fall down on their faces and they're worshiping him, saying, You are truly the Son of God. And so, this is a real life example of how his miracles led people to believe that he was God. Um, John 20 says this clear as day. So, the, the book of John is the only gospel that we have that was written in hindsight. We have four gospels, and each one provides a different picture of Jesus. I'd love to talk about that as well because they all work together to give us a really 3D image of who Jesus was um, and who he is still. And so like I said, the book of John is the only gospel that's written in hindsight. The events of the other three gospels were written as they were happening, basically like journals. Um, But John didn't write the gospel of John until he was really, really old, and I I believe he wrote it as he was getting ready to die. But he closes the gospel with this, um, this scripture, which is found in John 20, 30-31. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So like I said, he says it clear as day that the whole purpose of him writing the book of John was to reveal that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that He is God. And so, I just want to close with a little more scripture talking about why it matters so much um, that Jesus is God. And I want to give you a little bit of a uh, a language lesson towards the end. So, I want to go through Galatians one six through nine. Uh, and like I mentioned in in the last episode, if you have your Bible, I think I really encourage you to listen to this with your Bible so that you can open it and read it with me, um, especially as I'm reading some longer passages. I just really encourage you to, to be in it with me so that you can circle things, highlight things, underline things, make notes um, as you see fit. So this is Galatians 1, 6 through 9, and this is Paul writing. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach the gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. So the, port- the importance of this piece of scripture is that Paul identifies the true gospel as the gospel of Christ. So he's directly associating the gospel with Jesus and says that they cannot be separated or else it is not the same gospel at all. He says that if Jesus as the Messiah is not included in that gospel, it's not the true gospel and as it's meant to be discarded and, and labeled as false teaching. Paul is really intentional in his repeated and consistent use of Christ in reference to Jesus. And I wanna kind of touch on that a little bit further with a word lesson, like I said, a little bit of a language lesson. Um, So I was actually, side note, I was texting with Michael about this and uh, just sending him my notes on this lesson. And uh, he was joking with me that he knew a guy who thought that Christ was Jesus' last name. Um, and I'm here to tell you, if you believe that, you're wrong. <laughs> it is not his last name. Um, so the, the word Christ comes from the Greek word Christo, which means anointed or chosen one. And it's the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word mashach. I'm sorry if you speak Greek. I'm probably really disappointing you now. Uh, mashach, which means Messiah. And so uh, the the Greek and the Hebrew languages really work consistently together all throughout scripture. And so you can find a lot of parallels between them. But in essence, the name Christ means anointed or chosen one and Messiah. And so Jesus, the name of Jesus or Yeshua means Yahweh saves or Yahweh is salvation. And Yahweh is in reference to God. And so when we look at this all together, Jesus, is his given name and Christ is his title. And through this two-part name, um his two-part nature is revealed, where we get God and man. Um and we're also through the name of Jesus, God also reveals his purpose in sending him, which is to be our salvation and to be our savior. And so because of Jesus' divinity, I want to I want to close with a little more scripture. Um because of his divinity we're able to have so much confidence in the assurance of our salvation because of his sacrifice because we know he was god we know that his sacrifice was not in vain and we know that it was effective and we know that it was total and final um and because of his divinity we can also have hope for his future return we're promised in scripture that he will come back for his second coming and he'll take us and and save us and he'll create the new heaven and the new earth and we'll live with him in eternity forever um, and it'll be wonderful. And so all of this, um, all of this scripture and all of this information about proofs of Jesus' divinity and the fact that he is divine, um, it's meant to give us confidence in the Lord and ultimately confidence in ourselves as we live on this earth while we're still here and um, so I want to provide you with one more piece of scripture before we go. This is Romans six one through seven. It says, "What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that may, so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. So how can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that any of us that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism." Into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin may be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. This was a piece of scripture that Michael actually used this past Sunday for his sermon, and I, I heard it during the sermon, of course, and uh, I thought that it would work really well with this lesson for today. Um, again, I, I encourage you to look into this even further and pray and consider the divinity of Jesus and, and how beautiful it is that he came in and did the work that he did so that we can have confidence in our salvation, in his return, Um, and even in our our access to him as believers now. So I hope that this was encouraging to you, um, and I'm excited to hear from you, hear your thoughts on it, and I will talk to you next week.